Episode 107 with the co-creator of XPT with Laird Hamilton, the author of Power, Speed, Endurance, and multiple 100-mile endurance runner, Brian McKenzie. What's happening, guys? Welcome back to the show. Real pumped about this one, as you can obviously tell. Brian McKenzie, who's the running man who runs alongside of Laird Hamilton and XPT and that training methodology. The co-creator of that, also the author of Power Speed Endurance. This guy, Brian McKenzie, is a world-renowned strength and conditioning expert, and he's the innovator of the endurance strength and conditioning paradigm. He studied altitude and hypoxic training for over 10 years, and he's even run the Western States 100. Not only that, he's authored the book Power Speed Endurance, which specializes in using movement as a diagnostic for sport. He's a movement expert. McKinsey's programs have taught 50-plus seminars per year worldwide, and his program has been featured in Competitor Magazine, Runner's World, Triathlete Magazine, Men's Journal, ESPN Rise, and plenty, plenty more. This guy is a savage. He's a big badass. Um, Brian's also worked with and is married to Erin Kafaro McKenzie. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist in rowing. Pretty, pretty savage group of individuals out there. Laird and Gabby Reese, Brian and his wife, Aaron. Lots going on. Lots to learn about, Brian. He's super raw, kind of a guy's man's man, a guy's guy, um, but he's really, really authentic. And I love hearing a person who has had so much success but is attached to nothing. And you're going to see this in this episode. You're really going to peel back the layers with Brian. We're going to dive in all different types of places. He's going to just be himself, talk as he wants to, and I hope you guys really enjoy that authenticity as it really translates organically and um, authentically. So let's get into this show, episode 107 with BMAC, Brian McKenzie. Brian McKenzie. Welcome to Creating Space, the endurance connoisseur. I mean, 100-mile races, you eat them for breakfast. How, no, how's no. life, man? How's life? How are you doing? I, I did a couple. <laughs> yeah, listen, to be able to mention that you've done anything like that is absolutely savage. You've got so much going on. Written a couple of books on endurance training. Um, you're, you're working with XP. T, you've got so much going on with Laird and Gabby. Your life is full. I want to slow you down for a second. Let's get still. Let's talk about what's happening in your life, man. What's going on with you? Um, what isn't? I, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> um, so I, I think for the most part, what I do is not only confusing to myself, but confusing to a lot of people. And um, what I've enjoyed doing is tinkering to a large degree or when I, and and I tinker when I see an opportunity in in something and the easiest way I can connect that dot is I'm looking at the, at what I do is kind of an artistry in that there's not like you look at a song. People redo songs all the time. 
and the the kind of good part about that is it's not always done the exact same way mm. and i think because i'm 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 i've always been such a big tool fan um, and for those of you that don't listen to Tool, you won't understand this. But for those of you that have listened to Tool, you know exactly what I'm talking about, uh, Tool Army. And so <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can take a song and restructure it and present it in a completely different light. And the idea behind that is there's nothing right, there's nothing wrong. And you're kind of on this path of trying to understand things. And I got involved in endurance sports early on in my career with human performance and saw a different way of doing something and was presented a different way of doing something. And that really changed everything that I was think like thinking about, you know, the way right. I was educated, the way I was looking at things, the way I, in school, like I, I, I had major problems in school. I almost didn't graduate because I decided to drop out of high school uh, my senior year halfway through when water polo season ended because that's all I really gave a shit about. And I was like, yep, I can go to this adult education place at the community college and I can get my, my you know, I can graduate before everybody else. And then I just didn't go. <laughs> and I inevitably ended up going and graduating before everybody else graduated and then went to some college and got involved in college. And really, like, I was, I, I always tease people about, about this because I, I, I tell them that uh, I was on the nine-year plan for school. <laughs> you and me both, Brian. You and me both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to do that. No, nope, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And, and all the while, never taking any general education. Yeah. And then we started taking some general education and anatomy and physiology kind of falling into that. And I was like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. Right. And A&P really hit it off. Just so happened to land an A&P class at a, at a school that was like the, the – it was incredible. And that put me into exercise physiology. And that was where I was like, oh. And so it was like kind of straight A's all the all of a sudden and for the first time in, in my history at school. And right. I, I was on I, – I basically got C's because I could and I barely went to school. Wow. So I barely went to school, got C's so that I could play water polo. And I, 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 I had a great life and, and screwed around way too much. And then had and then got serious and found some passion in exercise science and and that kind of spearheaded a revolution for me because I was somebody who was involved in skateboarding, surfing, a lot of these anti-sport movements that were still sports, um, and so it became this very big catalyst for me looking at things very differently. And I always was rebellious, always had problems with authority and being told this is the way we're doing things. <laughs> Granite, <laughs> I seem to be falling into kind of the chronic white belt syndrome of everything, and 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 there's a process for that, and that process is laid is laid down with principles. And I think the problem that I saw in endurance sports early on was there's no principles. Right there, there was really no principles. We all just went out and decided to do as much as we could without having any of the principles or fundamentals laid out, and and that cause some problems. Sure. And, and a lot of people were running themselves injured, huh? And there, there was kind of no science behind it, right? Because not a lot of people were doing it. So what was it that about the endurance sport other than that, did you find you were 
you were gifted at it, that it came easy to you? Was it a mindset thing and you just wanted to keep conquering the next level? What drew you to that endurance sport all the same? It, it was how hard it was, the suffering. Wow. Yeah, the suffering. So you're, glut, you're glutton for, for punishment, huh? No, not necessarily. Really? Uh, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm more like I'm willing to break something <laughs> and, and figure out another way to do it. Um, oh. I, I'm legitimately a research and development guy where I'm willing to break things and do things at an extreme level in order to understand them better. Um, and I think that's what kind of separated a lot of people that were really involved in a lot of these things. And what I found for myself was that I was really afraid of intensity. I was really afraid of all that stuff after I had gone out and started doing triathlon and did an Ironman and was like, I did it very traditionally and sure. was able to suffer through these things. And then I was like, you know, you hear about people running 50 and hundred mile races through the middle of the mountains and there's like six aid stations and you're like, what? Who's <laughs> <laughs> doing that? And there was no, there was one article that the magazine existed on this stuff. And at the time that was I think, 2000, late 2004 and um, that nobody was doing ultra marathons. And I was so fascinated by that. And so I started training, but had recognized problems in myself and how weak I'd gotten and how much I was breaking down and dealing with injuries and things all of that immune system was shot it, it just became a very difficult place for me to exist in thinking that wow i just got in line like everybody else and was doing what everybody else was doing right how, how often have you done that in your life oh. so it was this question of who am i and then you know i was presented with some intense work and some stuff to do because i reached out to a few people and um it it, it transformed my thinking and i started squatting heavy again i started and it wasn't about squatting heavy it was like why am i squatting well for a positional standpoint and understanding that you need to be able to squat in order to function like an, a human being and it's a basic functional it's a basic function of human anatomy sure. and it, it just like walking is and there's a, our ability to, to kind of connect the dots with both of those things was very important and it became a catalyst and right about this same time you know you had like the functional movement screen and all these things that were popping up but they weren't really dealing with what the issue was they were just screening people so here's a screen to tell you how broken you are but what are we doing to address that and, and, and deal with that? And that's where a lot of like myself and guys like Kelly Starrett started springing up because we were really looking at ideas like that. And behind that whole emphasis, him from the sports medicine side and me from kind of the, you know, uh, human performance or even, um, you know, endurance and uh, strength and conditioning side. So what was the first kind of shift that you saw in this whole um, dichotomy that you were facing where you wanted people to train and for all, all intents and purposes, all types of training, you wanted to keep people healthy. What was it, What was the first kind of thing that you started to implement that you saw immediate return on, in, on the investment and you saw people really, uh, their performance enhancing and their, their injury levels, the prevention and the injuries start to lower? Um, well, I, I, we, I was kind of told that what I was doing was that we were going to break ourselves. <laughs> so that was the first thing that was like all right i'm going to show you differently <laughs> and 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 we had some a 
abysmal things happen. Like we were doing Tabata runs on a treadmill at like a 15% grade, running at 10 miles an hour for as long as you can. Guys were getting spit off the back and couldn't get off the ground because they were seizing up. And like it was terrible stuff, but it was like really, it was revolutionary in itself also because we were learning, well, that's not going to work because we're not going to be able to recover from something like that really quickly. (laughs) And, um, you know, like my, 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 the first gym I owned was really just this box of insanity just to try and kind of train things. And we had a few exercise physiologists who were in there like, dude, you're going to, you guys are going to cripple yourselves and you're going to set yourself, you know, you're just not going to be able to, you're going to put yourselves into adrenal fatigue, all this stuff. But the main thing we were actually doing was paying attention to recovery. And so the training times kind of got brought down because we were really looking at skill development. Hey, it just so happens that when we run faster or, we, or, or we're riding faster, or we're swimming faster, you're, you're legitimately swimming or working or running or biking in a better position because it requires that, that ability to put out more power requires your understanding of that. Now, when fatigue sets in, that changes really quickly, Sure, which is that kind of catalyst where that, that change between things where you have to be able to recognize that. And that became the, the important part. And a lot of people thought that what we were doing in the, in the beginning was just short intervals or just a lot of interval work that developed. And it was like, no, that's not it. And people today, even still, who come to us and we put through metabolic tests or screens, I show them where they should be running short intervals, which are really hard intervals, but they have no business going outside of a specific area because they got like an EKG chart through their aerobic, you know, their their aerobic levels. And so we have to clean that stuff up and get people to understand what that means. And so there was a whole methodology that evolved out of this, but it was really emphasized through skill development. And so we would really harp on on drills and skill development and exercises specific for development for those things, then put people into their understanding intensity and progression. And for me, it happened in like three weeks where I was, I I PR'd some run, a a 10 mile run by like six minutes. And I was like, how did that just happen? Like, how do you just go? and, And it's not just a like, I got fitter component. There was some physiological adaptation, but there was really some conscious connection to a lot of things. And it was like, oh, this is what intensity is. And this is what, you know, work is. Right. So, you know, then it inevitably became like, you know, me training for something that, you know, most people were spending 20 plus hours a week training for maybe even closer to 30 for a hundred mile run. and, And I wasn't. I was below 40 hours a week. I mean, I, I, I was below 40 miles a week. I was like, literally, I think I was averaging 36 miles a week total in training. The longest run I did was a half marathon getting ready to do, um, Angeles Crest 100, which was, a, you know, a, a gnarly run. So anyway, Holy smokes, you growth hacked your performance. You yeah. Pretty found much. A way. Uh, it was, it was scary as shit because nobody was, nobody had done that. And right. so I, I mean, I'm showing up to do something that a none of your friends, every one of your friends who you'd been sort of training with, but not really, because they think you're nuts for doing all this high intensity and lo- you know less aerobic work and strength and conditioning stuff. You know, you show up to the starting line, and people are like, oh, and, you know, and whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's been plenty that I haven't finished, and but that's just what goes on with ultra marathon. You know, it's a, it's a, if your head's in it, you're in it. If your head's out of it, 
you better hope you can get back in it. Holy smokes. It's all a mind game. And that's really the most important piece that I wanted to, to have. The conversation that I really wanted to dive into today was that mindset. What, what do you yeah. think separates your mindset from others um, in our society? What do you think is a little bit different about the way you interpret high intensity and your ability to kind of move beyond that threshold or continue to push your threshold higher? Well, one, I mean, I think intensity is a variable thing. Like CrossFit's done a very good job with that. And a lot of people misinterpret what that is. They think that it's just high intensity. It's not. Like there's a very big difference between running a 5K or a 10K and doing a heavy, you know, five by five deadlift set. Right. Those are two very big different things. Unfortunately, what's happening is people are like combining all that shit. And they're not really getting the whole process of, oh, I've got to recover, which has also brought us in, you know, why I'm in the breathing space at this point, you know, and it, it probably being the, lo the lowest hanging fruit in human performance that we've ever seen. Um, but the mindset really is, you know, I, I got motivated off of something because people or because I didn't realize there was this other way of doing it. And I realized my life is not a just one a, a linear path to doing one thing all the time. Right. And I I've been fortunate enough to make life-changing decisions probably for the last I don't know 20 years now um about every 3 months meaning at some point every 3 months there's a, a life altering change that happens whether I like it or not usually I don't like it we always go kicking and screaming with change to some degree, but I inevitably end up writing it and, and following it. And it allows for many other rabbit holes to be open or deeper or, you know, doors that open that you didn't know existed. Um, you know, it's a lot, it's very matrix-y. Um, and and when I challenged the first ideas that I had and made the connection back to my life, through being an adolescent in high school and how my path had gotten to me where I was at, because I was told I was never going to make it. Um, I was, you know, I was a, I was a you know, junkie at one point. I was like, you know, I, I, I got in, I got a fight with my vice principal in junior high, like legitimately fight. And um, no way. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's trivial now as I look at it, but it's like, this was that path and it could have been so destructive, but it wasn't, it was meant for something and to grab onto something and to understand it and, and make a positive change, not only in your own life, but how that's affecting other people. And sure. I was, I had a bunch of women that I was coaching at the time early on in my career that were housewives that knew I gave a shit about training. And I wasn't on my cell phone fucking flicking through text messages and just having them do leg extensions. I right. was doing like pretty intense stuff that required them to pay attention, that required them to work. And it inevitably had a trickle down effect because their husbands weren't happy getting their ass kicked by their wives. The husbands, then the kids. And then I had more money than I knew what to do with. And I'm like, well, why am I paying right here? Why wouldn't I go? open my own place and I'm paying basically the same amount on a lease that I'd be paying right here. And right. you know, you start connecting dots and things start to kind of unfold and you just have to be open to it. I think and the fact that what is your life mean? 
what is it? Is it a, you know, and, and one of the bigger decisions we've made lately was we, we moved to central Oregon in the middle of nowhere. And like I was telling you earlier, there are days we don't see human, other human beings. Wow. And that is refreshing to a large degree because I, it, it's overwhelming coming to where I'm at right now, being in Southern California with how many people are here. And, you know, I had some friends, I was, I was down in Mexico working with XPT and they're from New York and they're like, well, how are you doing in New York? And I'm like, well, I love New York for about a day or two. And then I'm like, I'm done. There's no way I'm out. Right. There's, I'm out. It, my, everything's been pulled out of me and I, it's not where I like to thrive. And I, I need a down regulation and an up regulation. And this is the, in essence, what the fucking breathing stuff is really allowing me to understand. So, so what's that uncovering for you? Do you think as you go deeper into learning about yourself? Cause that's what I, that's a relationship breath has for me is taking me deeper into the, the dive into the soul and into my spirit and uncovering some of the issues from before and recognizing who I believe myself to be. What's breathing really doing for you? So. I, I love when I ask a question and it, and it is followed by a sigh, man. I love that. <laughs> trying not to be so hippie. One of my good friends is, a, is an MD, yeah. like one of my closest friends. And he's like my doctor. <laughs> and he is a very deep shaman now at this point. So he's traveled over to this deeper world. of And, and sometimes we get very, very deep. And uh, That's awesome. It, it is. It's very awesome. But there's also this other world that doesn't totally yeah yeah like, of course you're caught you're caught suspended but this has been my job largely is to not have to go sometimes i go way too far off the deep end sure and i realize that and i've deleted things and you know i'm, I'm like whatever uh but my job's been to, like what i started this thing with and why i found something wrong with the what was going on with the endurance stuff was there weren't a lot of principles and when people don't have principles or fundamentals, we're off track and, or we don't understand them. And, but if you have those in place, the different, the difference between somebody like a Laird Hamilton and Brian McKenzie surfing is Laird has understood the principles for so long and applied them to waves that consistently get bigger over time. You know, the first wave he rode was shore break with on the back of his dad and it, change something and then it grew and people look at Laird and they go, fuck, how do you ride these waves that are so they're just baffled at what he's done with waves. And for me, I'm baffled at the commitment he's made for 50 years. Wow. No kidding. That is what it is. And people don't understand that commitment to something. And, but his commitment isn't just to surf it. It's been to developing things and a lifestyle. And that's right. why he and I have worked so well together. And, and because of the way I coach and the way that I've looked at things and been able to communicate them. So the breathing for me, and this is a chicken or the egg concept, and I don't care which comes first because breathing can affect the mind and the mind can affect the breath. And that's profound. It, it, but, but I, I have, there's PhDs who are probably jump all over me for that. And, you know, <laughs> well, listen, I got asked a, I got asked a really profound question the other day and I'm still trying to chew on it for a second. It was, uh, is the body built for the brain or is the brain built for the body? And how about I, this? It's the, the body is its own brain and it has its, the skin has its own brain. The fascia has its own brain. The, the muscular system has its own skeletal wow. muscle system 
The bones have their own brain. Look, we, we don't know shit. We think we <laughs> no kidding. Even the scientists who, who get out there who are really profound and really smart. I mean, uber intelligence. Sure. Nothing compared to me. The biggest <laughs> see is the ego that gets in place. And it's like, see, I told you so. You're not buying into what I'm telling you right now. And it's like, but do you really know anything? Right. Here's what you do know. And so harping on people and trying, and this has been my problem as well. You know, I made grave mistakes early on, which is why I polarized the endurance community so hard. Right. Because I was like, you all are fucking doing something wrong. No, they're not. They're doing something absolutely what they should be doing. Sure. And, and, and they don't, they shouldn't, and nobody needs to be doing what I'm doing. But the fact is, is I'm going to share what it is I'm learning. And I have learned. And that's what I've been good at, I think. And for me, breath work really, you know, it started actually, oddly enough, with a training mask and laughing at the training mask and thinking it was this stupid thing that all these people were putting on. And I am not paid by training mask. And (laughs) I, I put it on and... Because I knew that if I was laughing at something or making fun of something, yet I'd never used it, I, that's ignorance. There's no better definition of d- ignorance sure. than that. And, and when, I clue, when I catch that, it's like, fuck. And so I put the thing on and immediately changed my position, immediately accessed my diaphragm. And I was like, well, this is everything I've been talking about my entire career. And so I started screwing around with it and figured out ways that it worked versus like thinking about the whole game of whether it's affecting altitude or not. And which I could care less if it does, but I, I don't necessarily think it does. Um, but it does catch CO2, which can change things and can help a lot of people. Um, and that dovetailed into meeting Wim Hof and understanding Wim Hof about five years ago. And that turned into me going backwards towards yoga where I had a, you know, a full, you know, couple years immersed in this stuff and understanding a lot of the practices and going, wait a second, this is what they mean by aligning chakras and this and that and being able to connect dots with Mm. weird language. A lot of people do and going, you know what? Chakras is no different than me being in a good position and being able to access my breath and having a clear mind and like, you know, it's crazy, but it, it, it all started to make sense. And it's like, whoa, like that was the whole thing. And so breath work for me is basically just my, my opportunity to be conscious and aware of where I'm at. And if I can be aware of that for just five minutes a day, my life has changed for that day. Wow. So that, that leads us to ask the next question is, where where is BMAC? Where is Brian McKenzie right now in his life? Are you are you happy with where you are? What do you have coming down the pipeline? Are you looking in towards the future? Kind of where you are, where are you when you sit quietly and, and how do you feel on a daily basis? Whew. Um, I am probably in the closest point of <laughs> I, I'm in this flow state that is teetering on insanity. <laughs> and greatness love it literally yeah. and i'm doing way too much most days um because the opportunities continue to, to knock on the door and it's like well which direction do i go which door do i open and do i not even open that door because it's just more on the plate um i, I think my biggest 
things right now is I've been fortunate enough to be contacted by uh, Stanford Medicine and get involved with research on um, some things revolved around fear and anxiety and the ability to really do some work with a guy, by, uh, his name is Dr. Andrew Huberman, um, it, that really gives a shit, wants to show people that they're in no, he already knows what, what there is. And we know that there's this thing and there's already research out there with stuff, but we really want to be able to show that there's this other place that we can work on things and do things that are really going to change human beings. And one of those unfortunate things, and, and a lot of people, I'm not first to the, like, I, I am not coming up with something new here. It's just another light, a way of light that I'm kind of putting on this and able to, to get more people involved. And the more people that become aware of something like, wow, you mean if I actually apply some breathing practice and it's not just Wim Hof stuff, the Wim Hof stuff's important, but it's not for everybody. And that's a fact. And there are things out there that can really change your overall physiology and well-being that you may not know. And you may be dealing with things like anxiety on a high level that, dude, they don't necessarily, they may not need massive amounts of, of medication. I mean, my, my, one of my partners that I work with in the breath work had a girl who was on two Xanax a day and he gave her a simple breathing protocol to do. And in one month she was down to literally one Xanax in 30 days. Wow. Life changing thing for somebody. And that makes me more attracted to things than any elite athlete doing anything for sure. Any, you know, but I will say this, it is very fun to go get on a jet ski and go out into big waves and surf with Laird Hamilton. Okay. <laughs> there are not a lot of things that can beat that, but it's really, really, it, that's, that's kind of a different section. But the fact of the matter is, is Laird and I are doing the exact same thing that girl's doing. And this is where fundamentals and principles become so important. And it's like, if I just had something to, to, to give me the ability to kind of change just the, the way I'm coping physiologically with something, like if I can alter my physiology to some degree, just by slowing down my breathing a little bit with a simple pattern that we might be able to set up for you, that may alter your life forever. And that simplicity is, is huge for me. So, Brian, dude, that is massive and mind boggling that, um, something so simple would make you blow up with so much passion that you have right now. So if you can offer the Creating Space Tribe, can I put you on the hook for give us a really fundamental, very basic breathing, um, kind of like a pattern interruption exercise sure. that, that sure. you can recommend? Easy. So we, we call it cadence because it's, it's simply just a cadence. Sure. Right. And, and we, 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 we're looking at this in four steps because it's an easier than the two, than the three step because a three step apnea protocol can be a little bit tougher to do, but it'll help develop other things. And that's kind of a second stage for us to implement. So the cadence work is a four beat thing and it works off of a traditionally a one, one, two, one. It's a basic pranayama. So pranayama is really around the yogic stuff around breath practice. Okay. Yogis have been doing this for years, but simplifying it even further is like, hey, 
let's just set you up for five or 10 minutes of this pattern. And we, on, on powerspeedendurance.com, we have a CO2 retention test that you can access. Okay. It's, we also have a breathing program that's on there now that literally has five different options throughout the day. And this is one of those options to go through, but this will take you literally five or 10 minutes to start your day. You could even do it in the car because it's nothing that we're going to stress ourselves out with or get all ramped up or down or whatever. And we figure out where you fit. And a basic place to start this is let's just go with five seconds. So five, five, 10, five, because it's a one, one, two, one. So if I change that variable to six, because the five is really too easy, it would be six, six, 12, six. Make sense? Yep. So the, and, and, and if you can get through five or 10 rounds of this, very easily, you could bump it up. And this is going to help you deal with a lot of CO2 intolerant issues, right? But it's also going to kind of energize you and allow you to down-regulate, down-shift a lot. So starting at that five-second interval, go for five or 10 minutes and see how you feel after you've done that. But if it's really, really easy, go ahead and bump it up. I use this protocol. I'm up I'm up around a 12-second interval. So it's a 12 12 24 12 right that's like and that may sound overwhelming to a lot of people i've been doing this for quite some time at this point okay so i've allowed myself to get to a point now there are plenty of people like my wife who don't do a whole lot of breath work who have these insane co2 tolerance and she could start off there no problem well not 90 percent of the people that i i see and deal with cannot so that simple practice can really start to change and alter your physiology. The, the interesting thing about it is this, is that if I'm slightly CO2 intolerant, it doesn't matter how much I work out. You can't change that unless you literally are sitting there consciously dealing with the CO2 intolerant issue. So if, unless I've got some sort of breath practice, whether it's hypoxic work to some degree, and by the way, just holding your breath is not really going to do biggest bang for your buck. Sure. It's figuring out where those places are at that you can do that. And this is all the stuff that we're into right now, like so deep in this well that it, it's so cool because we've got all these protocols that we're really messing with and, and we've played with long enough to really alter the physiology and help out. Not only athletes, but just basic human beings who aren't who. I mean, if I'm sitting all day in this position on a typewriter, I'm I have no access to my diaphragm. Right. But if I do nasal breathing, I automatically have got my diaphragm working. And so now if I can teach you how to nasal breathe more, we've got some. And by the way, our nose was designed for breathing, not our mouth. Our mouth was designed for eating. So that transference that changes, yeah. The other big thing I can give you is go go start training for the next two or three weeks only using nasal breathing. You will need to slow down. But I promise you this. You will make changes that you will never regret. No way. Yeah. You'll rewire your, your aerobic physiology. It's it's amazing. I got a kid in CrossFit right now down in Australia who, when he started, he couldn't get he, nasal breathing only. He couldn't get his heart rate above 140. He's now hitting 170 nasal breathing, and he feels like he could go forever. Holy it's, smokes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But the essence of this is there is so much. There's so many things. And my job right now is to lay those 
fundamentals out there and get people understanding because there's going to be much better people at understanding this stuff than me at some point. And that's the whole deal with creativity. Like, you know, that's what an artist does. An artist paints something or does something and, and then somebody else comes along and, you know, we've, we've progressed ourselves and then we need to progress it more and then we need to progress it more. So I think I'm just part of a, a, a cog that's literally going to, you know, continue to explode. Yeah, it's awesome, man. And there's so many people who are now buying into the ideology and helping implement it and educate it. But you, Laird, Wim Hof, you guys are a part of the team that's really exploding it. And it's awesome. Dude, it's really awesome. My question to you is, how do you choose who you try to help? Because listen, man, I'm I'm an empathic guy, played professional sports seven years, didn't even realize I had uh, performance anxiety, you know, have always been sensitive to energy. I walk around and I see people rotting inside, anxiety worn on their face. You can tell they're unhappy. You feel the vicious energy that comes out of their mouth when they speak. How do you bear that weight that you have knowing that you can help everyone that you come in contact with in some capacity? And how do you choose who you help and, and how do you move on sometimes with without you know accepting that call yeah. and to help someone what turns me on <laughs> <laughs> yeah legitimately and, and, and i mean you want to this is what you know what what is it that turns me on and it it doesn't need to be sexual it's something that's um you know it's the ability to be vulnerable and be open to hey is my ego more wrapped around helping Laird Hamilton or helping some kid who, or some lady who's, who, who's just chronic, got chronic issues in dealing with diseases. And it's, it's probably both. And so how do I do that? And it's pretty close to the same thing. And the, the, the beautiful thing about any of those individuals is, is you find out who gives enough of a shit changed their life. I was just at a target the other day and back home and there were, I think 20, uh, handicapped stalls in the front of the park. And I remember a time that that were empty. I remember a time that there was one or two handicapped stalls. And when you go into a target and this has nothing to do with, me my like i'm not trying to belittle anybody or anything but the problem exists in this world of convenience that we live in and we get attached to it and i watch it with my parents i watch it with myself and i watch it with traveling when i'm in airports and i'm i'm you know we expect certain things and we don't want to get up and do things for ourselves the people who actually are legitimately handicapped these days don't want to be and so they do things and are willing to do things that would make us immortalize them to a large degree we make heroes out of them we make these which is great but then there's the people who don't care enough and uh, that's those are the people that we really need to start looking at and being like how do we get these people to stop thinking that this is a handout or that they're they don't need to learn how to fish and you know, I, I'm a big teach a man how to fish and he'll learn to live his own life. Um, that right. doesn't mean that uh, I am going to, you know, 
uh, push somebody outside out the door. Um, I, I'm not. Um, but I think that there's a big problem with what we do in coddling and allowing anything to thrive in an environment that really is quite unnatural at this point. And nature doesn't really provide that kind of a blanket to where it's like, oh, yeah, if you don't want to do anything, go ahead. Well, I need my job for me is to figure out how I communicate those people. And the, 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 the interesting thing is, is that as you do, it makes it much easier to communicate with everybody else. Wow. Wow. And, and, and as you do one thing, you do everything, right? And it seems like you are incredibly passionate to, to help. What do you think is the first step in kind of jump-starting people into getting back to, to learning how to fish and learning how to take control of their lives? Basics. It, you know, it's, it, it's like you can't freak somebody out who's sitting on their couch, who's obese, um, and say, yeah, you got to do CrossFit. Sure. CrossFit might be able to help. Sure. You got to look at it or, or, you know, you got to do some high end hit, some hit program. I shouldn't use CrossFit as the only analogy here because there's plenty or orange theory or whatever you want to call right. this height. You know, um, you, you got to look at it as like, what, what is something basic we can do with this person that's going to change them in, 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 a, in a way that's going to allow them to see hope? That's right. going to allow them to see motivation. That's going to allow them to get turned on and be like, oh, I, I, I don't think breathing is the answer to everything. I do not. I don't think a breathing practice is something we need to have every single day. Although that's what I do right now. <laughs> Well, I'm being honest. It, yeah. it, there's going to come a point where it should have manifested itself to where I naturally have wired my subconscious, which is, which is 33,000 times stronger than my conscious mind, because that's ultimately what we're doing. We aren't conscious beings. Maybe 5% of us, 5% of our day is spent in that. There's a great book out there called The Biology of Belief. Dr. Bruce Lipton lays a lot of this stuff out, and it's amazing. Um, to kind of listen to it, but getting conscious is, is the rewiring of the subconscious. So I've got to create enough of a habit in order to be able to function and be able to move. And this is why I squat, or this is why I run is if I can create a positive habit, my running technique or my squatting technique or my training technique that should be able to transfer over to how I'm sitting or how I'm standing or yeah. how I'm walking. Right. Right. So that I don't have to necessarily do this every day, but I can come back to it. But the fact is, is I am actually breathing all day long. And what's happening to that breathing? Has my respiration changed? Meaning, has it dropped down more towards that 10 number? Because 10's, 10 breaths a minute is actually what optimal is. And unfortunately, most of the public is around 20, hmm. which is chronic hyperventilation, which if I'm hyperventilating all day long, I'm, I basically am restricting blood flow to my heart and my brain. So it wow. is no wonder why I may be having dealing with many things. And, but this is also, we, I've got a new book coming out called Unplugged with Dr. Andy Galpin. And <clears throat> he talks so great about this stuff, but it's like, look, this is 
why, you know, people go and fast and, or, or these holistic practices come up and they're like, yeah, we can help you and we can cure your cancer. We can cure this and all this stuff. And it's, it has some validity to it because there's actually enzymes and proteins associated with fasting that aren't active if you're not fasting or if you're not actually down-regulating or having some, or you're chronically hyperventilating, like you're restricting things that should be happening that aren't happening. And so it's not that I'm saying people should go dump, dump their medication because I've been just as much of a pro, like I've done a bad, a poor job at, at um, giving Western medicine its, its rightful place because Western medicine is largely the reason why most of us are here. And right. we're, legitimately we don't have to worry about death rate at birth which is why our population was so low you know a hundred or so years ago is because there was a large death rate and because the biggest disease we see now which hey people freak out about major things like bird flu oh my god how many people died of bird flu versus how many people died of the black plague there was like 20 or 30% of the population that died because of black plague. We don't need to worry about things like that, although they do and they are getting more and more radical. Western medicine is arguably the reason why we're not dealing with that. But we, as a convenient society, get so fixated and used to the idea of, I just take my pill, I don't have to do anything, it deals with it. Right. Versus taking control of your own life and understanding the process by which you may have an allergy, you may be dealing with depression or largely anxiety or ADD or whatever. And these are all things I can relate to. So I'm sure. talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Listen, um, kindred souls. I mean, I, I find myself on a daily basis d digging myself 10 feet deep on 16 different things. And it's so funny trying to pull yourself out of that rabbit hole and create the space to get still for a second and, and yeah. really prioritize, which I think people are really struggling to figure out, okay, there's so much stimuli in my life. So many people are pulling me in so many different ways. Brian, how do you create space in your life to just, I mean, you mentioned before you, you bought a place up in, in Oregon and you get away from humans, what are you doing um, specifically daily that removes the fat and gets you centered and helps you create space for your best self? Um, I, I, well, one, I mean, the whole move, it's funny because the, I'm in Southern California now and there's a lot, there's a number of friends here that are like, dude, I can't believe you just moved to Central Oregon. I mean, I've lived in Southern California for 40 years. I'm 40, I'll be 43 this year. I, I've lived here for 42 years. And they're just like, I never thought you'd do I am so envious, but I can't do it. And it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> and, and, and as long as that's the way you think, you're right. Right. And, and people think that there's so much to that. Well, yeah, no, I've got kids and they're rooted in here. And right. I can show you, I can show you half a dozen families in Kauai and even or Central Oregon where I live who did uproot their kids and their kids grew up and now thank them. I'm not saying one, one's better than the other though. I'm saying it, it's, I provided myself a place 
to be able to get away, to, to, to really get to the root. And I don't know how long we'll be there, but I'll, it's a place where I can, when I wake up in the morning, I can start my hydration process. I can sit down. I can take a moment, go through my breath work. I can go move in nature. Um, I'm a lot like Stephen Kotler where it's like at least a third of my day is spent outside in nature. And I live in a forest. So I might have eight neighbors inside of a two mile square area. So there's not many people and there's days I don't see human beings, which makes it very inviting to come down to a place like Southern California for a while and unload that. Sure. But you have to be able to pull away. And I think we're confused to what that pull away might be. And so social media then becomes a big part of it. And I'm just as guilty as this as anybody. But my life is, I, did, I'm rarely on, I'm, I'm actually not that much on social media anymore because of people like Laird who don't even know what social media is. Right. Like, doesn't. He, there's somebody who's doing it. And, sure. you know, like Aunt Wim doesn't. Women has no idea what it is, but I got caught in it early. And so it's like, oh, what do I do? And yeah, I, I don't have any idea what's going on on Facebook um, <laughs> because I, I, I can't do it. And yet I, I've watched even friends whose social lives exist on it. And there's this alter ego that we can create that I used to have that existed there. And so I, I, I think it really, and I'm not saying you can't or you shouldn't be there. Right. Because I've got it running right now. Right? Sure, <laughs> like, sure. You know, and, and it's a tool. And as long as we understand it as a tool, right. I think that's where the importance lies. And if this tool can help me become a better human being, it's like technology. And what we're, what, what Dr. Andy Galpin and I did with Unplugged is technology is not the enemy. But if technology is telling you what to do, when to do it, you've missed the entire point. You know, and like I went and swam with sharks this year and I'm going to get the opportunity to go swim with some great whites here in September. Um, and it was arguably the most impactful natural moment of my life in swim out in water with 30 or 40 sharks. And at any moment, if the, if they decided it would have been an over for the five of us that were there, it, like you, you, you know that without a doubt there's no like and, and most people are like yeah why the fuck would you do that <laughs> there's no reason to actually do that and that's just the thing there's every reason to do that yeah there's every reason to understand how quickly and how important life is and what is that animal and what is it doing and the fact is is a shark wants as much nothing to do with me as i want to do with him he's curious they like to watch but i'll tell you what if i give off of an energy like i'm its prey its mechanism changes, much like when you walk into a room and you know somebody's off. And we're hardwired like a shark or like a zebra or like a lion. We're all kind of hardwired the same way. And if technology is not allowing us to be that hardwired to when I can walk in a room and be observant of something and what's going on, then why am I using it? You know, right. I'm using heart rate monitor the degree that the heart rate monitor tells me where to train and when to train versus, hey, I just felt my aerobic threshold. I just felt my lactate threshold. Yep. I know where I'm at right now. That is what we're talking about. And the ability to connect those dots and get more people tinkering and being their own experiment is so important to our being that it, like I believe it is fundamental 
that we all start to do this because it's it, it's what'll change how we feel about each other. Absolutely. The relationship with self is the most important. When you get real dialed in to who you are and what you're about, it floods over into your tribe, into your hustle, what you do for work and into your legacies, which moves us to the last couple of questions of this podcast. It's been a fantastic podcast, my man. I love it. You've got, um, you've got juice and power pack for days. Last question I'll ask you, man, and, and I'm sure you get this question from time to time, and I know you think about this. What's your legacy, BMAC? What do you, what do you want to leave um, to society when it's all said and done for you? I don't want to leave anything. Wow. I, 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 I my, my belief um, is, is that this is really just one consciousness. That, you know, I, this is very Bill Hicks-esque, but I, I, I do, dude, if I have a vibe, if I have a problem with you when we're having a conversation, I have that problem because there's something wrong inside of me. And if something rubs me, rubs me wrong with something you're doing or my wife's doing or whoever's doing, it's only because I can identify that trait in myself that I understand. That. And so there, there, there's nothing more than it. I, I, I am what this whole thing is. So I'm not actually, it's just one energy, man. It, and, and it's yep. a subjective, it's a subjective experience for me. Um, I am not highly, I, I, I'm not traditionally religious. A lot of people actually do think I'm Christian, but I'm not. <laughs> right. Uh, and I wouldn't consider myself Christian. Um, although I, I, I don't deny the fact that, you know, Jesus Christ existed or whatever, but you know, I, I think that the fact that I can be okay with what I, what I think and, and my sister can be highly, highly born again Christian and be all right with that. That is what this is really about. And, you know, it, which is a true story. So, sure. you know, it, it's, but I identify with her and I have a good friend, one of my closest friends who's very religious and he, he wants to write a book. He wants to write a book about the kind of the, the atheist. Well, not, I'm not really an atheist, but <laughs> the, how my view is and how this very Christian man's view is and how, how closely we think. Wow. And if we wow. get down to brass taxes and what it's all about. Is anybody saying anything differently? Nope. It's all the same thing, man. We're yeah. all the same thing. It's the same vibration. And it's, you know, I, I don't need to leave anything at this point. My identity has been, I was this, I was that. I was, the, I was an ultra runner. I wasn't. I was a crossfitter. I wasn't. I was a swimmer. I was, you know, I was a drug addict or, or I wasn't. Um, right. You know, I, I've I've had to go through these phases of why do I even need to be Brian? Why can't I just be? And you know, it's it, that that's ultimately what the goal is. Is hey, I just before I exit, I, I just want to be. But if I exit, I'm good with it. That's why I got in the water with the sharks. Hey, listen, you, you just be, man, and you do it uh, gracefully. And you know what I love about you is you have the ability to pivot, pivot, evolve, change directions, and really grow. And you get rewarded and cool things come towards you because you just say yes. And you say yes often. 
More yeah. people need to be inspired to to live their life that way. And uh, I, I hope and implore you continue that trajectory uh, because you're making massive waves and you're doing it with a lot of cool people. So BMAC, Brian, if there's anything the Creating Space Movement can do for you, I surely hope you'll let us know. But thank you so much, my man, for coming on the show and, and, and sharing your expertise. Thanks for having me, Wesley. There's something really cool to be said about those people in life who know who they are and they do not budge from their stance. It sounds like Brian has done an awful lot of soul searching, has come to the conclusion of who he is, what he wants, and how he's going to represent himself, his family, and his work and his life. And it sounds like he's just constantly pushing the edge. Sounds like he's constantly trying to find new levels and push his body, his mind, his spirit, his soul to another space. And I really want to continue to be in the same conversations as people like that so I can continue to learn from them and I can open up those learning opportunities to you guys to continue to learn as well. So reach out to him on Instagram. I am unscared, all one word. Let him know you listen to this episode of Creating Space. How about you do this? How about you screenshot this podcast episode? Go in and tag him on your stories or post it to your Instagram native profile. Let him know you heard him on Creating Space and let him know you really love this message. So without any further ado, guys, I love every single one of you. Hope you're all doing well. Keep creating the space for the best version of yourself to enter. And I promise you'll never lose. Oh, 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 oh,